Right, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk this morning about the personhood and dignity of the unborn. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. So if you want to turn on or turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, you'll be ready for us. Now we're going to do something a little bit different today. In my humble but nevertheless correct opinion, what the pastor should do is read a passage of Scripture Find the main point of that passage and make the, mo- the main point of that passage the main point of the sermon. <laughs> that way you are hearing from the Word of God. And then you take that main point and you clear up anything that's, that's not clear. And then you give application for how we can take that truth and use it in our lives, right? Then the preacher should explain and illustrate what's going on and make sure that you understand and know how to apply. Now that's normally what we do, but today we'll venture outside that norm just a little bit because we're going to see in Luke chapter 1 the personhood and dignity of the unborn. The Bible doesn't address abortion in the 20th and 21st century America, but it certainly provides us with principles that can guide our thinking, and we're going to learn some of these principles today. Now, I'm sometimes tempted to think that our people don't need to hear a message on abortion or uh, gay marriage or some of those other social issues because we understand these things, right? Well, it's dangerous to assume, and we had better stop assuming. In modern America, cultural change can happen in the blink of an eye. President Obama was against gay marriage until 2012. Now, opposition to gay marriage would have you kicked out of the Democrat Party, uh, or at least relegated to obscurity. Now, if you posted opposition to gay marriage on social media, whether you're in government or not, you might well get fired for that in 2020, and yet we elected a president in 2012 who was against it. Gay marriage was illegal in the United States until 2015 in most states. Now, though, you'd be hard-pressed to find any poll in a high school or college that wouldn't overwhelmingly affirm it, right? Now, you may be saying, wait a second, I thought you were talking about the sanctity of life, and now you're talking about gay marriage. The point is, I bring that issue up just to show you how fast social change happens. Public opinion can go from one side of the, one swing of the pendulum to the other in just a very few years. We have to speak clearly and frequently about what the Bible says on important social issues. Now, the most important moral, social, and political issue is the right to life. If, there, if this were merely a political issue, it wouldn't have any, any business being preached on, right? But it is not merely a political issue. It is the most important moral issue of our time. When America finally faces judgment, I believe our murder of over 61 million unborn children since Roe v. Wade in 1973 will be by far our most damning sin. Now, when I read a figure like 61 million abortions, I want to just sit down and cry. (laughs) But I'm going to keep talking. First thing I want us to see is that unborn babies 
or fetuses. You know what fetus means? It means unborn baby. So that's not a bad word. Uh, it's not as cuddly as baby, so the, uh, the opposition will use that. But unborn babies or fetuses are fully human lives made in the image of God and worthy of our protection. Let's read together Luke 1, 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now we are not reading here about potential human life. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy in the presence of his Savior. Luke 1.15 told us that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb. We looked at that last week. The Holy Spirit did not reside in a mass of cells. The Holy Spirit did not reside in a potential life. He resided in the person that would be named John and that would live up to all the promises that Gabriel made to his father. The Mosaic Law defended the unborn on penalty of death. Exodus 21, 22, and 23 says this, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall, play, he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Guys, God knows, and we know, unless we work really hard to suppress the truth, that the unborn baby is a person who cannot protect himself or herself, but absolutely deserves our protection. These verses describe a situation far less evil than the intentional murder of an unborn baby. What will God's punishment be for those who make their living murdering babies? It'll be too terrible to imagine. Now, I would love to hear the story of an abortionist actually repent and come to faith in Christ. Now, you may think, well, that wouldn't be fair because he wouldn't get the punishment coming to him. Well, I'm not going to get the punishment coming to me either, right? Because of the grace of God. So if I heard about an abortionist repent and come to faith, it's true they wouldn't get what they deserve, but they'd get grace. And that's the same for each and every one of us. But for those who never repent, someday justice will be served, and I cannot imagine how terrible and how horrifying that will be. Jesus loved children. God the Father loves children. He will take vengeance on those who harm them. Next, I want us to see the development of the unborn baby is controlled by God. Listen to Job 31.15. He says, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? 
So Job is talking about how God is the one fashioning the unborn baby in the womb, directing the development. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Isaiah 49.5, Isaiah says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. So Isaiah is saying, When I was an unborn baby... When I was in the womb, God had set me aside for his service. I was to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. This was all planned, ready, set in motion while Isaiah was still in the womb. Before even. Galatians 1.15 But when he who had set me apart before I was born called me by his grace. And that's Paul talking there. See, the, we want to make a big deal in this country about when life begins, all right? God had a plan for Paul from eternity past. He had called him and separated him to himself when he was in the womb. Now, when did that actual call happen? Well, it call, you know, we've read of his encounter with Christ on the road, right? But this was all planned for him. He was already set apart by God before he was ever born. Could it be any more clear that unborn babies are people? They are not potential people. They are not masses of cells. They are individuals who are chosen by God, loved by God, destined to do things by God. They're fashioned by God in God's image and for God's glory. Next, I want us to see that children are gifts from the Lord. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Luke 18, 15 to 16 says, Now they were bringing even infants to him, and that's to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. So they were bringing babies to Jesus. And the disciples said, hang on, hang on, don't do that. He hasn't got time for this. He's got stuff to do. Well, Jesus rebuked them and he called them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus loves children. God the Father loves children. The Bible condemns those who murder. We already saw that in Exodus 21, 22, and 23. We saw that the, the guy is fighting. If they hit the woman and she uh, aborted, her, her child came out and there was harm, then there was the death penalty. Look here in Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. It says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Now, abomination is about the strongest word in the English language that you can find. 
God hates these things. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Abortion is the epitome of shedding innocent blood. Look with me at what God thinks of child sacrifice. In Jeremiah 19, in verse 4, we read, Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. It was sickening and unthinkable, and this nation was going to be punished for that. Now you may say, well, what about Abraham and Isaac? Didn't God tell Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Well, God tested Abraham's faith, but as you know well, he didn't let him go through with it. He provided a sacrifice on behalf of Abraham's son. As, as a way to teach him and a way to teach us that one of these days we were going to need to pay for our sins. We were going to be guilty. We were going to be ready to be put to death, eternal death. And instead, God was going to save the day again by shifting the blame and the punishment from us who deserved it to a sacrificial lamb, which would be his own son. Now you may say, well, we practice abortion in America, but at least it's not child sacrifice to some pagan god. I think it is indeed child sacrifice. These children are not sacrificed to Molech, like these guys were reading about, but they are absolutely sacrificed on the altar of convenience and self-interest. Now Planned Parenthood is motivated by profit. And so I believe you can add, when you consider them, the, uh, the altar of money. And then there is a demonic determination to see as many abortions as possible. And so the altar of that culture of death, innocents in America are being sacrificed on them every day. So if this is true, and I think most of us understand that it is true, if the person in the womb, if the thing in the womb is a person, as I say it is, and the Bible clearly teaches that it is, and it's legal to kill them, what do we do about it? Well, that's a great question. And I want you to first of all decide whether this is a fight that is worth fighting. I think that clearly it is worth fighting. I can't think of anything else that is more worthwhile than perhaps sharing the gospel. When we share the gospel, we go to lost men and women and we tell them about the hope they have for their souls. Part of saving unborn children is going to be going to men and women and telling them about the hope that they can have, about the forgiveness that they can have. So what do we do about this scourge of abortion in our land? The first thing we do like I'm saying, is decide. Are we actually willing to take action? Now, we can think it's a shame. We can complain about it at lunch to other like-minded people. We can, we can scoff when we hear somebody talk about it. We can get mad. But what are we going to actually do to change something about it? We can pray. Now, as I've been telling you and as I've been learning myself... Prayer is not something that, prayer is not an excuse for inaction, okay? 
Prayer is action. Prayer is going to the one and only who is actually in charge of things, who can change our government, who can change our leaders, who can change the public's heart. There's only one that can do those things, and that is God. So our first and best thing to do is to pray. This is a spiritual battle, guys. The, the, the fascination with abortion and the maniacal fervor with which many of our politicians support it is nothing short of demonically inspired. Uh, there's no halfway measure. <laughs> you know, back when Bill Clinton was in office, he would say, we want to make uh, abortions uh, safe and rare. Such is not tolerated anymore. Because if you say rare, you're implying that there might be something wrong with it. That is not tolerated in, on the American left anymore. So there is a maniacal, passionate fervor to have as many abortions happen as is possible. I'm telling you, this must be demonically inspired. Remember when the angel Gabriel, well, he was an angel, he wasn't named, but it was probably Gabriel, told Daniel that he had been hindered by the prince of Persia? You remember seeing that a few weeks ago? There are spiritual strongholds in this country. And there's only one that can tear down those spiritual strongholds, and that is God. That's why we must pray. We can do other things besides pray, but we must pray. They won those spiritual strongholds. They won a major victory in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. Only God can tear that down. Now, you may think, well, not really, because if we get a conservative president elected, then maybe he can get some Supreme Court judges in there, and maybe they'll outlaw abortion. Well, that's part of the problem, right? But there's still going to be states like, well, you know, you know the states, that will make sure it's legal and accessible and even paid for by taxpayers. This is not a battle that a presidential candidate can win. It's not a battle that can be fixed completely by the Supreme Court. This is a battle that only God can achieve real victory. Because only God can cause a revival. And only God can cause us to fear Him again. And to listen to His words. So we can pray. The next thing we can do is show compassion. Now let me be very candid here. Is abortion a sin Absolutely. Here's the question. For the one who feels trapped and scared and is seeking that abortion and may not even know what they're doing. I talked to my friend Jana and I said, in today's world, with the science that we have and the technology that we have where we can see into the womb, we read about God seeing into the womb a long time ago. But now that we can see into the womb, surely nobody actually thinks it's not a baby. And she said, no, that's, that's not the case. People come in and they say that they want these, these cells removed or this growth removed or whatever, right? Some people have been deceived. I mean, that shouldn't shock us, right? This is a demonically inspired thing. And the, the God of this world has blinded the eyes. So this woman who is in a real predicament, are we ready to cast the first stone at them? I'm not, because I am a forgiven sinner myself, right? Now, we show compassion to them. 
like God has shown to us. God will forgive them if they repent and place their faith in Christ. God will even forgive the abortionist if he repents of his sin and places his faith in Christ. And I hope they do. So guys, when we deal with ladies who are seeking abortions or who have had abortions, we show them nothing but compassion. Because that is what God showed us. Okay? I hope I'm stressing that enough. No man, I, and no man has walked in their shoes. Thank God, by His grace, very few of you ladies have walked in the shoes of these ladies who are contemplating abortion. So we show compassion. Now we need to speak the truth about abortion. It's murder. It is reprehensible. But we need to have compassion on people who have had abortions and who are contemplating having abortions. Folks, lost people act like lost people. Believers don't always act like believers. But lost people always act like lost people. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us. We really ought to know that by now. We should also know that but for the grace of God, you and I would be lost too. I hope that's your understanding. I hope you really believe that. Folks, there are some theologies that kind of say, well... You know, God gives that offer of salvation to everybody. And if you've got enough sense to come in out of the rain, then you, you're the ones that get saved. So the dummy who doesn't get saved is the dummy who doesn't realize what a good offer it is. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the only reason we respond to God is because he initiates it with us, right? And so if you're saved and your neighbor's not saved, it's not because they're dumber than you. It's not because they're more sinful than you. It's because God intervened in your life and showed you amazing grace and brought you to faith. So we can't sit in judgment of lost people, guys. We instead have to show them compassion and give them the message of the gospel. So I really hope you understand and believe that if it weren't for God's intervening grace in your life, you would be lost too. And if it weren't for that intervening grace, you might well be blinded by the God of this world and be a fervent uh, supporter of abortion. So let's thank God for His grace and then work to get that message of grace to other people. That'll kill our pride too, you know? If we sit back and think for a moment, the reason that I'm saved is because God intervened in my life, showed me grace, and called me to Himself. There's nothing to boast about there in me. There's a whole lot to boast about in God in that scenario, but nothing in me. So we pray, we show compassion, and we vote. Folks, I've never and will never vote for a pro-abortion candidate. Now you may say, oh, so you're saying you're a Republican. Well, let me assure you that if a Republican is nominated who is pro-abortion, I will not vote for them either. I am not merely a Republican. I'm not necessarily a Republican. I am necessarily and primarily pro-life, okay? Now, you may say, well, what about economic issues and, and immigration policy and, and those other important things? Those are important things, and they matter to me. But let me promise you, they, they don't hold a candle compared to the issue of life. That will determine my vote. Now, there are opportunities 
for you to take to get hands on intervening in this battle. One of the things that we do is as a church, we support the Choices Clinic here in Laurel. Uh, we have apportioned that in our budget and part of our budget goes to them to support what they do. And that is one thing we do and can do and should keep doing. Uh, another thing we can do is give money to causes like the Choices Clinic. But folks, first we're going to pray and pray and pray and stand in the gap like we talked about, right? Then we're going to personally show compassion. You say, well, I don't have any opportunity to do that. Well, we're going to tell you in a minute how you can personally have an opportunity to do that. And then, of course, we know how important it is to vote.